0: The Seattle Seahawks season came to a close in the wild card round of the playoffs as they fell to the San Francisco 49ers 41 to 23. As they exit a campaign that far surpassed most expectations, the Seahawks enter a potentially dynamic offseason with a myriad of paths in front of them. Joining us to work through them is personnel and cap expert, Davis Sue. Let's light them up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my opulent producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts podcast. Mike, how are we doing today?
1: Doing well, Jackson. Feeling great that I root for a team that didn't embarrass themselves uh, at the highest degree uh, in the wildcard round of the postseason. So feeling great about that. How are you doing?
0: I'm great, man. I I got to watch that game and in Cabo International Airport <laughs> found the found an airport bar with the game on, and you know I'm pacing around the airport, probably looking suspicious as hell <laughs> to, to TSA. Leave your suitcase in the, the game. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I got my bag in a corner by the bathroom, and I'm pacing around this bar. But uh, you know, it was it was obviously it was a, it was a later flight to Seattle. So it was mostly Seahawks fans in the bar. And that was, that was fun. And, and Seattle was feisty for a half.
1: They absolutely were. It was, you know, a tale of two halves. The first one, it was looking like the Seahawks could hang hang in there and stick with their division rival. And, you know, they were going into the halftime with a lead and, you know, that was the kiss of death for teams in the wildcard. It
0: was, it was for sure. and And they gave it everything they had. And, you know, this Seahawks team, they punched above their weight class for nearly five months. They gave us a hell of a lot more to talk about than we thought going into the season. And now they rest. And that rest has been well-earned. We'll talk more about that 49ers game today, but the end of the season also marks a pivot towards a very exciting free agency and draft period for this team. And that's why we are thrilled to be joined by one of the sharpest minds we know when it comes to roster construction and cap management, Davis Sue. Davis, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, always, always thrilled to have you, man. And I want to jump into your thoughts on how Seattle might, and in your opinion, should approach this offseason. But before we do, let's talk a little bit about that season-ending loss to the Niners. When you watch that game, what was the number one reason you felt the result ended up being what it was?
2: You know, the first half, clearly the Niners are a better team, more talented. They've been in their system longer, Mm
1: -hmm. and they
2: just have better high-end talent. And Brock Purdy, you know, he still makes it happen. I think in the first half, we had no penalties. I can't really remember the last time that happened. And we really needed to function that way. We had no turnovers. The game probably turned on the, you know, we give up the eight-minute drive. At that point, I'm not even that worried because I'm kind of like, hey, but, the, like, the game's really short. You know, it's kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I it's better than giving up a quick score when you're playing with someone that's better than you. Yes. and then we go down the field the drive's impressive you know we started three and out twice but after that our third downs were actually pretty solid and I gotta give credit mm-hmm. to Gino and and the run game and and so we're our third down numbers weren't that bad and then you know the the key play is obviously that you're in the red zone you don't get three you don't get seven, you get a sack fumble and at that point, you know and really, you would not have had that turnover likely without that penalty, the illegal man downfield, which we had three of those. That, you know? that was such a – And it's like, that was look, such after the first time, stretch. Yeah. you know, it's like you're doing it three more times. And and so as the penalties started piling up, then you're going to see the, the turnovers piled up. And, and you really had to play that game. I'm not saying you could play that game with no penalties, but, you know, they had no penalties in the first half. You had to really, like – not beat yourself and, and um,
1: you have to play that game with no turnovers in plus territory.
2: Yeah. And as soon as they, yeah. that happened, then you saw that 20 point gap, you know, come pretty quick, you know, in, in a heart.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that's the thing. And I, I wrote about it after the game is Seattle is not super far off, right? There's a story you can tell that in a year or two, they could be close to where the 49ers are at, but the 49ers represent what an elite team looks like. They've got a rocky road ahead in terms of their roster construction, just from a cap situation, draft pick situation. But right now, much like the Rams the last couple of years uh, before this one, they've got such a high concentration of top end talent and they all play so well together. You made an excellent point at the top about how they've been in their system much longer than Seattle has, you know, Seattle is, switched how they've played defense there. You know, they've had an offensive coordinator in place for only two years. They've got a really, really young team and you just, you just saw the gap, right? And, and in a way it's almost nice that they lost to a team like the 49ers instead of like the giants or the Vikings where you say like, Oh man, they, they could have won that game. What, what you saw is very clear. Here is where they need to go.
2: This is what it looks like on the field where Seattle needs to go. And I think what's interesting is they're going to play the Dallas Cowboys and likely win, but I want to see how that game goes. That's super fascinating to me. And then the
0: first real test for Brock Purdy from yes. a defensive standpoint. And
2: then I also want to see them, you know, I want Philly to win because then they'll have to go on the road to Philly to play another good team. And then you're going to see, and Pete Carroll's going to be watching this because he's thinking, wow, if I have an elite team with a really cheap quarterback which he's not going to do. He's going to pay Gino. He's going to, but it's like that temptation. Yes. You're going to have to watch and be like, well, if I have a really good defense and really good top end talent and have a, a a cheap $900,000 quarterback that I don't have to pay for three more years, you know, it's, it'll be interesting to see how, how they play against Dallas and Dallas is more traditional where they just load the top end talent, pay the QB, you know, and then Philly, you know, they haven't had to pay the Piper yet with their quarterback, you know, so, right. but they will, right. you know, kind of thing. And,
0: oh yeah. Yeah. Hertz is that guy for sure. You know, uh the the framework of this show is going to be a lot about roster construction because that, that is the focus moving forward. You know, we're, we're done with what happened on the field. So as you watch that game and as you look at the season as a whole in your mind, Davis, how big is the gap between the 49ers and the Seahawks? And, and I realize that's a pretty broad question. So let me add a little framework. What tier are the Niners in and what tier are the Seahawks in as of
2: today? I think Seattle really isn't a playoff team because we just added the seventh team. I wish that did mm-hmm. not happen because I actually think Miami and Seattle, which I believe were the seventh, you know, seeds mm-hmm. in, I actually don't think they actually really belong in the playoffs. Now I'm so happy that they did. I'm happy we got that experience, but yep. being nine and eight, Honestly, a nine-win team is like a, what an eight-win team used to be. I mean, we have an extra game, right? So mm-hmm. all the stats yep. are padded. You know, it's
0: eight and a half wins now. Yeah, what you know, means, and yeah.
2: really, it's eight wins to me. And I think now, I I still think they're two tiers below the Niners. Now, will next year the Niners be as good as they are this year? I'm not sure, because um, you could see how a team can fall off pretty quick. Nick Bosa is getting seventeen million dollars in 2023 and that's not even his new contract that's just his fifth year option Mm -hmm. now your Mm -hmm. fifth year option is pretty heavy when you're the second pick and he or he deserves every penny of 17 million he deserves you know 30 40 million dollars but they're not even in the heavy portion of nick bosa's uh load <laughs> and that's gonna yeah. that's yeah. gonna be brutal you know at that point they're not gonna be able to pay Treverius war they're not gonna be able to pay eric armstead they might not even be able to pay eric armstead you know this year but to go back for the seahawks i instead of doing a double jump if if the t- if the niners and the, the eagles are in tier one and if the seahawks are in tier three and maybe there's i don't know six tiers in the nfl or five tiers
0: that's exactly how i put it i I had six tiers. Yeah, there's six tiers.
2: We're tier three. The Niners are tier one. My, My vision is, can we easily get into tier two? I absolutely feel we can get into tier two. And the reason why I believe that is because all we have to do is shore up our run defense and slightly improve our run offense. Now, the easiest thing to shore up in the NFL, the cheapest players to get, whether it's in the draft or free agency, is run defenders. The most expensive players are pe- players in the pass game, whether they're pass catchers, pass throwers, or tackles, pass blockers, right? And pass rushers, right? Or pass and, rushers and, 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 corners. and corners. The most expensive yeah. players in the NFL are in the pass game. When you land two rookie corners and two rookie tackles, whoa, oh my God. you have done a massive a massive piece of work that now you have four, three more years of, of essentially almost free, you know, players in the past game. So it allows you to focus again. I'm not saying they could be the Niners in one year, but if you improve your run defense, you will likely beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Las Vegas Raiders. That game pissed me off more than any other game. Yes. And I was there and the Panthers game. So so if you win two out of those three, if not three for three, you're eleven wins. Let alone giving up two million yards to uh, ta- not Peyton Hillis. What's the guy that plays for New Orleans? Um, Taysom Taysom Hill. Hill. <laughs> The Put him Hill on a Madden game. cover. Just, just ra- insert random white player yeah. here. Mike Alst. I mean, he he. How many touchdowns did he have? I, I want to say he had, he had like three. He had two hundred yards and three touchdowns. Yeah, I want to say he had five touchdowns. He caught one, threw one, you know, <laughs> ran one. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like okay, that. And I don't even know if we lose that game later in the season because I I just didn't think we even knew what we were doing back then. You know, then we it lose was to the,
0: clear that they didn't,
2: and yeah. then we lost to the Falcons. Which to me, it's they kept handing it to Corderell Patterson, mm-hmm. and we were just like, uh, "What do we do with it?" You know. So it's like, so I'm not even gonna bring up those games, which we lost on run defense. But if like you shore up the run defense, aren't we an 11 win team?
0: I, I think so because, you know, the the temptation as a fan is to say like, "Oh, if we had turned some of these close sauces into wins, we'd be X." But in doing so, you never take away the close wins, right? You're you're not like, oh, yeah, well, obviously, we could have lost some of those close ones. Seattle didn't have that many close wins. They had a close win over Denver. They had a close win over the Lions. They had a close win over the two close wins over the Rams. So, you know, maybe you replay the season. They lose a couple of those. But I think if you took all their one-score games and, and just did random distribution, Seattle is netting another win or two, you know? And to your point, that puts you at 10 or 11 wins.
2: And, and Jackson, in ten, what games were we outmatched in the 17 game regular season? I could only think of two games. Where we were totally outmatched the Niners games. That's it. So if you that's think, it. if you think about it, were we even blown out in any other games?
0: No, no. And you know, they, they made the bucks game closer You're
2: than right. it was for You're most right. of that game. But uh, that was a weird game. We're out was on this weird, weird field. Was, They're playing. Yes you know, sweet home Alabama and country road, take me home, yeah. which is, you know, they're out two times, you know, they're halfway around. Even the if world. they
0: had won that game, the London or the Munich game is easy to toss, right? It's just, it's, it's just a weird one, but they won a lot of games by double digits. I I think they won six or seven games by double digits. And that's something that even great teams don't always do. So they've shown like their ceiling is a legitimate, 10, 11 win team. Like I'm not going to sit here and say Seattle's an 11 win team next year, but it's not a hard story to sell me that they could win, go 11 and six next
2: season. I think if they shore up their run defense, I think they are an 11 win team. I really believe that. And you can shore up a run defense in one year. That is not, that is not, you, you don't need Absolutely. a premium player to do that. You, you don't need the, the top end players um you basically need to get you can even get one dimensional players
0: situationally. You need your Al Woods's and your Quentin Jeffersons and those guys, you know, like those guys are are good run-stuffing players that cost you four to six million
2: dollars a year. And you need you need if you can try to replicate like Dre Greenlaw, uh sure, uh, you know, Fred Warner. Now can you now Jordan Brooks, let's say you get him back second half of next season and you don't want to use Cody Barton, then then you really do want a young, cheap stud to go along that. But the, here's the thing. You can get a linebacker bottom of the first round, top of the second, bottom of the second round. Fred mm-hmm. Warner was probably a third, I think he was a third round pick, right? So mm-hmm. you don't need to, you know, you don't even need to use a first round pick to get a really, really good, you know, linebacker.
0: No, and, and to your point, you know, there's, to me, there's four areas of need this team but two that stand out uh I'll, I'll I'll say I'll say three that stand out and they are interior D line interior O line another very cheap you know com- comparatively right like there is a market inefficiency there where yes. you can draft day 1 starters on day 2 uh at the interior offensive line the premium position that they lack at is edge rusher right yes. and that's been the case for a long time in Seattle this is this is nothing new
2: uh, but they you know, have the they, high pick for that.
0: Exactly, that and there's,
2: is the rare thing that they've never had, or rarely yes. ever have. And
0: yes, exactly. You know, they've we we've never seen a Pete Carroll pro team, a John Schneider pro team, use a high pick on an edge player, and they have the opportunity to do that. in pretty much every mock draft, and we're going to look at one of them
2: later on in the, the show. highest was Irvin, yeah, but he was really more 12, a mid round, yeah, or guy. fifteen, yeah, yeah. and yep. um, but at this point at number 5 whether you stick and pick you'll probably get the third best defensive player or yes. if you slide you likely can get a difference making edge rusher yep yep absolutely
0: so we're going to we're going to transition in free agency here in in a second but one last note on the niners game a lot of times when a team season ends in the playoffs the way they lost that game tends to dominate the conversation about how they should draft or handle free agency. And a lot of times it kind of skews the perspective, but in what way did Saturday's outcome affect the way you'd approach this off season compared to how you would have before that game?
2: I don't think it really did. I don't think yeah, it, it didn't changed for me anything. Either. I, I I felt there, like their was...
0: weaknesses in that game were their weaknesses all year.
2: Yeah. I, I tend to agree. I, I didn't feel, I didn't feel that they, like Kenneth Walker looked like Kenneth Walker, you know, yes. like, like Gino looked like Gino, you know, uh, Gino
0: was the one that that was the one where I was like, if he goes out and, and the Niners kick his ass, then, then I start to question, but he completed 10 of his first 11 passes. He ended up with as good a numbers as anyone has had against the 49ers in the last three months outside of that weird Jared Stidham game. So like not, nothing about Gino's performance. He had those two turnovers in a row. Of course that hurts, but like, The 49ers do that to everybody, like literally everybody, they turn over twice. So, you know, quarterback wasn't the reason that this team didn't go further. Yeah,
2: I agree. I, I, again, I think number one, shore up the rush, rush defense. And I think you do it from the front to the back, from the inside to out. And then on the offensive side, kind of the same thing where you go front to back from the offensive line, guard center. And, um you know, and you don't really need that much more on offense. No, Uh, I, I, I agree. Tyler Lockett and DK, they are who they are. You can't really get rid of them. Um, I think Pete is likely going to stick with Gino. Um, Now the question is how do you structure the contract? Um, Which I have some thoughts on that. We can get into whenever you guys want to talk about that. Let's do
0: that because, you know, Off-season talk often centers around the draft. And I think a lot of that is because we as fans get to be immediately aware of draft order and a massive cottage industry of mock drafting has sprung up out of that. The NFL draft itself has become an event that's almost like a mini Super Bowl. But before any of that happens, the NFL has its free agency period. So before we talk about that, let's start with how much cap space the Seahawks have right now and then tell me how you'd like to see them deploy that in free agency.
2: You know, I don't really think of it in terms of cap space. I think of it a little bit differently because okay. you can always cut guys. And so uh, this is how I look at it instead of cap space. I look at the o- overall cap and the overall cap is going to be 220 to 225. Okay. That's my starting point. The other thing is you got to account for some practice squad guys, the three specialists, and then you probably have some dead money left over from previous years. So we actually have dead money from Carlos Dunlop, you know, which, which is hilarious. Yeah. We have like four yeah, or yeah. $5 million. And I think uh, there's another guy in there. I think actually we have a little bit of Chris Carson because of when they would move on from them last year, they can do it post or pre June one, but the bottom line, you're kind of kicking the credit card down the road a little bit. So we have about five or $6 million dollars, in uh you know stuff to clean up russell's gone which is nice there's no lingering money there and then you're gonna have to pay your practice squad and you're gonna have to pay jason myers who i was the biggest anti jason Myers guy but this year i had to shut up and my one of my good friends was like dude you hate this guy this guy's been like the best kicker in the league and and every time he kicks a field goal he looks at me and just kind of makes fun of me but but i got to give jason <laughs> myers his props he did he did fantastic obviously michael dixon they're going to keep him. So
0: so to your point, just just today, Jason Myers signed a uh 4-year contract. Oh, did he? With yep, for okay. 21 million dollars.
2: Okay, well there you go. I I am not on Twitter anymore because they kicked off the the third party thing, and so I haven't been on yeah. Twitter in a week because I can't I haven't. Well, to it, just do- ha-
0: it just happened like okay. an hour ago. Oh, did it? So.
2: Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I haven't right. been on Twitter since Thursday because they kicked all the third-party applications off. Elon Musk is like, I, I don't want you to have chronological feed, so I don't know <laughs> how I'm ever going to get back on it. i have to go on real Twitter, and then now I can't even, you know, they have to push it. It's going to be like Facebook. But anyhow, the bottom line is you need a hundred – you should think $100 million for offense and $100 million for defense. That is kind of the starting point. Okay. okay. Now you can tilt one way or another, but I think of where we're at, we have to kind of stick to about those guidelines. Now, if you want to talk offense, the big swing factor is Gino. When I think of Gino, you have to start with the, the franchise tag as, 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 as no, as the place to start, which is going to be $31 million. Okay. So if you're going to give him a two year deal, I think you have to start at like 65 million bucks. Okay. Okay. Now, if you want to make it a three-year deal to spread some of your cap hits and kind of push out some of your problems into the future, that would probably be smart. Let's do a two-year deal just for fun. You could figure out a way with signing bonuses to make his cap hit next year 15 million bucks. If you do that with DK and Tyler and I'm looking at this little handy-dandy spreadsheet, you're definitely going to be under $100 million, okay? But the problem is if you do a two-year deal and it's $65 million and you 15 this year, you're taking a $50 million cap hit next year. Do you think Gino signs a two-year deal? I... Yeah? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I don't, don't know You don't think
0: the, you don't think the market will put him in a position where he's getting
2: three years at that money somewhere else. He's 32 years old. And if you look at the AFC, it's all dominated by 27 year old quarterbacks or, or less. Mm-hmm. So the oldest quarterback I, I, I my friend texted me, the oldest quarterback, I believe, alive in the AFC, even when the playoffs started, was Mahomes. Wow. So if you think about the AFC low key, the NFC is that way too, outside of deck. Yeah. So, and then when you think about like the Michael Penixes and the Hendon hookers, these guys are going to be NFL quarterbacks when they're 26, 27 years old. I'm sorry. Th- that's going to hurt their draft stock. Even yeah. if those two were some of the best quarterbacks in college football, you can't ignore age. Like you just, yeah. you just can't. You know Let me let me ask you this.
0: What we're talking about other quarterbacks in their early thirties. Would you rather have Geno Smith or Derek Carr? Geno Smith. Would you rather have Geno Smith or Kirk Cousins? Geno Smith. Would you rather have Geno Smith or Ryan Tannehill?
2: Geno Smith.
0: I gotta think he might get a third year from somebody.
2: I don't think so because of his age. And I think he is fitting into the Pete Carroll, Shane Waldron thing. And even if Uh someone offered him more, I kind of think if he got a a 90, 80% deal, I kind of think he would say, I know you're like hometown discount. You can't count on that. I just think because of the situation, because of his whole entire career and how he's been basically kicked to the curb in the league, he's not ever going to have the talent of, of the top, you know, three guys in the FC, You never will. You know what I mean? No, No. And so I just think that they're going to give him a two or three, two or three year deal. They could get the 2023 number very manageable. If they get that number manageable though, it does not mean you go hog wild. In fact, you'll still have to make sacrifices in 2023 to, to manage the 2024 number. Because all the caps are really linked. <laughs> you know, you could roll money over and that type of thing. And so there's guys that are free agents. Um, and I'm going to run through a list. And we're going to yes, focus please. at this point more on the offensive guys. So Jonathan Abrams, defense. Puna Ford, defense. Rashad Penny. You could probably re-sign him for $2 bucks, And I think that would be a smart move. And that's not going to destroy your cap. But then Austin Blythe. Kyle Fuller, who's your backup center. Gino. Phil Haynes, Marquise Goodwin, and Travis Homer. I'm honestly fine
0: without any of those guys except Gino, and then obviously Travis Homer is like the mascot for this show. Yeah, right? you got to a franchise him tag him. Yeah. I mean, you <laughs> got to slap that shit
1: on him like yeah. gangbusters. Now, there's, now. Two <laughs> cap, there's two
2: cat. There's two cat casualties that you could also um, kind of steal some money from under the mattress from, and this is big money. Gabe Jackson's cap hit is 11 million but he's got to be gone yep right? yes and that but you're only gonna save six on a post June one okay. so you don't get all 11 and then um will disley's cap hits nine million but if you cut him post June one you save six so so basically I think Gabe and will as guys under contract, are definitely as soon as geno signs you might see gabe and will gone or one of the two and then if you sign Gino, it definitely puts onus on you for not going back to re-up Blythe or phil haynes or if you get phil haynes you got to get him for super cheap mm-hmm. because again Geno Smith is going to get really expensive in 2024 one way or another and that. And that, you know, so it's like, you have to, you have to look at it in a, in probably a two year window. Okay. Okay. And we can switch to defense whenever you want to, I have the numbers there, but again, my basic but, points is a hundred million dollars should be your goal for each side of the ball, which okay. is doable even with paying Geno, but you're going to, you're going to have to make some sacrifices of some of these mid mid tier players you probably can't go sign a big name free agent, and you're still going to have to have enough draft picks, and and those draft picks have to hit. Frankly.
0: Okay, so two questions. I, I do want to get right into the defense. Okay, um, but just as more of like an umbrella look at it, the cap is going up a lot this year, and with new TV deals getting signed and all of that, there's more money to go around, and these. These are the factors that affect what the salary cap is year to year, right? They, they take league revenue, they split it out among the teams, uh, as far as spendable money goes, how much, if you're a GM, are you leaning on saying, you know what? We can overpay a little bit in 2023 numbers because the 2024 cap is going to go up and the 2025 cap is going to go up. Or is that kind of a fool's errand to look at it that way?
2: You know, I think that is, that is, that is part of the calculus for sure. I think one little the caution is, you know, back when I started doing cap analysis, back you know when the, in the early kind of run of, of Pete and Russ, you know, the minimum salary was like four hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. Now even so, you could you could fill your last twenty roster spots if you think about that, right? Let's call it five hundred grand, right? Your last twenty spots, you could fill your last twenty spots for ten million bucks. Crazy. Now, I looked it up, Brock Purdy. If I read it right, and he was the last pick of the draft, right? He was the last mm-hmm. pick of the draft. His cap hit next year is uh eight or nine hundred thousand dollars. Wow. So even your lowest priced player now, it's kinda like buying bucks. a house. Your lowest price player is is nine hundred eight eight, nine hundred thousand dollars. Yes. Right? So um so yes, I, I do think they 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 know the T V money and the contracts and you know, they probably have a line in on what 2024 is going to be. I, I would just say this, if, if Gino, if you have a $15 million cap hit and that goes to 50 million in one year, that is still a massive, yeah. massive, you know, imagine your house payment, you know, like your, your interest rate goes up, you know, by like triple. It's like, Whoa, you know, it's like, sure. I'm living in the same house and you know, that type of thing. So you, you, yeah, you yeah, and, wanted- that, and that
0: house is a year older, right? Yeah, your water yeah. heater's a year older, yeah. your roof is a year older, yeah. all of that.
2: Yeah. So I, I'm just using this hundred million dollars for both sides of the ball. Yep. You know, which is still way more. I mean, back when I started doing this, I, I want to say the cap was like 120,
1: you know, mm-hmm. the whole
2: cap. So I would do the Seahawks at like fifty million dollars a side. Well of the Ru-
0: ball. Russell Wilson was the highest paid quarterback of all time at 18 million dollars a year when he when he signed his first extension right? It was him and Roethlisberger making $18 million. So like, Oh my God. And, you know, a quarterback for 18 million is just like a total, like a low end starting yeah, quarterback. Jameis Winston is, is the deal. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's, and that's, that's why so-
2: if, if you could get a rookie quarterback, or if you have a system and you can get a Brock Purdy in there, um, man, that is, that will make a few people think, you know, if, if, if the 49ers win the Super Bowl with the last pick of the draft as your quarterback, yep. I'm not saying all NFL teams will go that way, but there could be maybe like 30% of NFL teams thinking, fuck, maybe I should, you know, maybe I should try. Well, I mean, you know,
0: the fact that Seattle paid $7 million for their quarterback this year, that allows you to give DK Metcalf a hundred million dollars, right? Like, I mean, it, It lets you do some things. It lets you sign Quandre Diggs. you know, it it lets you extend Jamal Adams, all of these things. And so, you know, and and leaves you some room to go shopping. Uh, I do want to get to a a shopping list if you have one, but before we do talk to me about where money can be created on defense.
2: Yeah, so on defense right now, I have a little board um, I'm looking at right here that I made, you know, a couple months ago. And right now I have the defense at 106 million. Now, the cheapest part of the defense is cornerback. We only have six point seven million dollars, you know, to the cornerback position, which is a, a place of tremendous savings. So I have, if we sign Mike Jackson on an RFA, which he, I think he's totally worth it, it'd be about two point seven million. Treke Woolen's not even making a million dollars next year, which is you know a steal. Um, Kobe Bryant's he's making. Blank. Tariq Woolen is giving you $20 million million of free production. Yeah. Yep. And Kobe Bryant is about 1.1 million Trey Brown's 1.1 million. And even if you draft a guy again, when you draft a guy, you're paying them 900 grand their first year. This is not like the old days. Right. So, but all in all, you have $6.7 million toward the corner position where it gets out of balance is this safety position. You're $41 million That's to the safety position. You have $18 million to Jamal Adams, 18.110. And then Quandre Diggs is 18.1. So Jamal just had to get an extra $10,000 on his contract just to to be paid a little bit more than Quandre Diggs. Now, everyone's question is, what is the dead money and what's the cap savings if we got rid of Jamal and or Quandre The dead money for Jamal Adams is 21 million. So He's back. Yes. Jamal is back. Yes. Now, Quandre is likely back too. Now, if you post June, if you cut him before June 1, you would save 10 million on Quandre. If you pushed it to a post June 1, you would save $14 million. Would you do it? I don't think they do it. And so I'm kind of thinking they're going to stick with both of them. They can't get out of the Jamal contract, really. Quandre is still one of your best players, especially toward the second half of the year. You're going to get Ryan Neal back on an RFA at 2.7. You pay that. and even That's if you, a no-brainer. Yeah, and if you draft a guy, it, you might cam Chancellor him, where he might be a special teams guy for a year. You might not really... You know, you don't have to get a draftable starter at safety this year. You could draft a guy, you know, have him play special teams for a year and then have him be a full-time starter in 2020. You're talking about like a day three type of guy. No, you could even, yeah, or you could even go a little higher knowing I really need this guy to perform in 2024, but if I'm paying Jamal and I need to shore up my run defense, well – Jamal Adams might not be a good cover guy, but we know that Jamal Adams is likely going to help your run game run. defense. Oh, absolutely. So that's,
0: that's one thing that we didn't really have that has been a hallmark of beat Carroll defenses is a impact player in the run game coming up from safety or coming up from that slot corner position that they're hybrid enough. Obviously cam chancellor being the ultimate example of someone who can do that. uh, But someone who, You're not accounting for in a defensive front necessarily, but can be an extra legitimate run stuffer. And Jamal Adams was that for, you know, the, the hate on Jamal went way too far. In my opinion, he does struggle in coverage sometimes, but it's not, it's not as bad as people want to make it seem. And he is excellent. I mean, he is made out of concrete. That boy is a hitter.
2: I would say this, the. The, the mistake of Jamal Adams, which was a mistake. I don't care. It was a mistake. That is why you could not go get a Roquan Smith. Yes. Because they, because the safety position is so highly paid. And I don't think another NFL team has a structure like this. I'm, I'm pretty confident they don't. You're There's not bas- another
0: team that's close right. when it comes to paying.
2: So, but we have, we have probably one of the cheapest cornerback rooms and we're going to have a pretty cheap inside linebacker room that's kind of how we balance it out because you know defensive line's expensive everywhere. Like, I mean, it just just is, right? And so it's like, if you have, let's say there's five positions, inside defensive line, uh, edge, inside linebacker, safety, and corner, we have to save money at inside linebacker and corner, which we're doing, which means if they re-up Cody, they're still probably drafting a linebacker, which I think most fans want. And you need a you need another cheap inside linebacker that just makes all the sense in the world. Pete's gonna likely do that, and you're gonna be able to control him. He could be your Dre Greenlaw or whatever, or your Fred Warner before you paid him. Um, but I kind of think you might still be stuck with Jamal and Quandre for one more year, and that is going to limit you a little bit in your in your cap.
0: When you say stuck, do you do you feel when you say that? Do you mean like? stuck as in, Hey, it's just a bunch of money or like, these are
2: overpays that you just got to lug around for a while. I think there's a chance they're both back, but you have to still draft. And I don't think it's a day three draft pick because I think what you're saying is we're going to have them, but we need to get guys coming in behind them that are cheap. Yeah. And okay. so, so what I'm saying is don't be surprised if they draft a safety on the second day, uh, huh and really trusting that he's going to be like a Jordan Brooks. And by his second year, you know what I mean? Or I don't know when Jordan Brooks, you know, started really, you know, like they didn't need him much the first year, but like you could see something like that happen where, where, yeah, you have Jamal and Quandre for 2023, but you still might have to draft a safety medium high in, in this draft and in the next draft, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Okay. I gotcha. I gotcha. So, uh, we're going so to don't to be th- shocked if that happens. The fans will yeah. be outraged, but it's like, it's like, well, they're like, well, we have these guys. Why are we paying? Why are we drafting this guy? It's like, it's, it's you gotta look two years out.
0: What you're talking about with safety is how I feel about wide receiver because Seattle has two excellent wide receivers, but they are very fragile there. We saw what happened to that past game without Tyler Lockett. And I mean, I love Marquise Goodwin as a short-term third wide receiver but he's not beating a number one corner, right? Like you still need guys to get open. Seattle is two receivers are very good at getting open, but Tyler Lockett is 31 DK Metcalf has been extremely healthy. They, that has been a home, that has been a grand slam pick. You know, you, you redo that draft DK Metcalf is going top 10 and that's great, but you're an injury away. And all of a sudden the wheels kind of fall off of this offense. So uh, we're, we're going to get to the draft here in a sec. Can I
2: finish a little on the D yes, line please, before on the, please. so the, on the outside linebacker, you have about 19 million allotted 12 of that to and which you cannot move on from him. You got to keep him. He's been he's I awesome. think, amazing. You're going to have Boye Motha. You're going to have Daryl Taylor. And you're likely going to draft a, a, a dude. And, but that guy is going to be cost controlled because he's going to be a rookie. On the interior defensive line, we have a lot of money accounted there and I know they are going to flip that. There's no way they're going to go in with the way things are structured. So Puna Ford probably won't be back.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, Al Woods is getting paid 5.5 million, but Brian Monet is up for 3.7. I don't see us paying both of them. Mm-hmm. Miles Adams who who, who, who is a definitely a keeper, 750. Quentin Jefferson, 5.9 million. I don't, I don't know. They might cap cut Quentin Jefferson mm-hmm. and then Shelby Harris, who I think's a really good player, but his cap hit is $12 million. He felt like a
0: one-year guy from the get-go and he, and he was great when he played oh, great is too strong of word. He was effective when he played, he made the defense better, but 12 million
2: can go a long ways yeah. elsewhere. So, I, I think you're going to see some shakeup on the interior defensive line. I don't even want to question what it is because I still think they're figuring out their body types. They're trying to figure out how many guys they want to two-gap, how many they, guys they want to one-gap. You know, what's really the body type of not the nose tackle, but the other two defensive tackles? I, or, de, you know, they're actually defensive ends, really, is what, mm-hmm. but like, are they 290? Are they 280? Are they tall? You know, I just think Puna Ford, I don't know if he's tall enough to play in a three, four, the guy's not even six feet tall. That's why he wasn't drafted. Right. And we love him. And I think he was great in our old system, but in this system, I mean, we're talking about
0: a big 12 defensive player of the year. Like the, the production is there, but the profile
2: is not. And I, I think the scheme matters a ton. Like I remember, I almost think that year we should have drafted Chris Jones But if we would have ran a 3-4, my feeling is I bet you we would have drafted Chris Jones. But because we ran a 4-3, you know, I just, you know, and so I guess I say that, say, if you're running a 3-4 versus a 4-3 and how you run it, it it really determines the type of body types. And I I don't even feel comfortable knowing what we're really looking for yet. We need more time, I think, in the system to find out. The other thing is, the idea I had was, do we switch back to a four, three? I don't think we will, but I just, I just threw it out there. It's like, if our run defense was looking so abysmal, would Pete go back to what he's used to? I, I you know, and just be a four, three, one gap team with that he's been for 11 years. Sure. Sure. So with
0: all of that in mind, and I don't know how much time you spent looking at the available free agents at these positions that need for Seattle, but do you have a wish list pre-draft guys that are not on this team? Currently,
2: I don't have a wish list. Um, but it'll just be interesting to see if they go after an older player or if they go after 26, 27 year old player, you're going to pay more for that. You could backfill with 30 plus year old players and get them for a lot cheaper. And they're at that point, they're going to be more one dimensional players. And so I don't really know how, how Seattle's doing the rotation third down, first and second down, you know, the body types. So I felt really comfortable with the old system of understanding the body types they needed when they would rotate guys out, you know, what their edge rusher would look like. What's the actual size of the different players would be now. um, I don't. I'm not really sure what we're really going for, so I don't actually have any sort of wish list, but I'm very confident there will be turnover and change. I I think the number one position to figure out, though, is what we would call a defensive end, which would not be Al Woods or Brian Monet. Right. It would be the guy right on both sides of him. And do we go after a guy who's 300 pounds? Do we go after a guy who's 280 pounds? Do we want a guy who's 6'4"? You know, do we really want him to two gap? You know, do we want him to be run and versus pass? I think that is actually a really, really critical thing, and I don't know which way they're gonna go.
0: Yeah, well, you bring up a great point, and it's something that gets lost in the fan discussion a lot because we look at talent and production, and we say, "Oh, you go get this guy," and you plug in ten sacks or you plug in however many tackles for loss or whatever, but unless you're Aaron Donald, JJ watt, one of the bosses or the watt, you know, or, uh, TJ watt, some of these guys, Miles Garrett, those guys can do it all right. They're good against the run. They're good against the pass, but that's not most players. You know, it's, it's the same thing in the NBA. You get a handful of guys who can do it all, but most guys play a role. They're defensive players. They're spot up shooters. You know, th- they fill these roles and, and in the NFL, the scheme that you run is so crucial because we've just seen so many we've seen it with Seattle and, and it's been really the big misses in terms of square peg round hole have been guys they've traded for you know Percy Harvins the Jimmy Grahams the Jamal Adams these are great players I'm not saying they are not great players they weren't fits for how Seattle wanted to use them or you know certainly with Jimmy Graham Percy Harvins a little tough he was he was hurt a lot and and you know, some, some other things. Yeah, the other
2: reason right. I'm not as confident of what's going to happen on the defensive board is Clint hurt is a brand new defensive coordinator. This was his first year. Yeah. So if Dan Quinn or Gus Bradley ended up becoming our defensive coordinator, I think we would have a lot of thoughts. We could go back to how they've been running defenses, you know, at Dallas and these other teams. And we could be like, okay, I think we're moving in this direction. Clint hurts never been a defensive coordinator before. And we moved to a three-four. So there's a it's like whoa, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so um, there's going to be changes there. I don't really know what they're going to be. Um, can we get guys that can that can basically improve the pass rush and stop the run? I don't know. But are we going to improve to stop the run? I have no doubt in my mind we're going to do that. And it, it, yeah. if Pete Pete Carroll is not going to sit well with being one of the worst run defenses in the league, I just I just don't buy that.
0: Nope. I think, I think run defense and Gino are at the top of his top of his priority list. Okay. Now to the really exciting stuff. Let's talk NFL draft. And as far as that goes, the Seahawks picks are finally locked in. Their first four picks are number five, number 20, number 37, number 52, a lineup of draft choices that cements Russell Wilson's legacy in Seattle. Thank you, Russ. Obviously they're are a lot of directions in which the draft can go. So many, it would take us hours to cover. And even then, we're not touching all the permutations. So to give us some focus for the sake of this conversation, we're going to lean on the latest mock draft from the excellent Dane Brugler. Now, I'm not usually much for most mock drafts, but there are a few that I always pay attention to. And Danes are certainly among them. Uh, Mike, do you have that handy? And if so, can you tell the folks what he's got the Seahawks doing in the first two rounds?
1: You know I do, and you know I can. So the Seahawks are at number five. And so in this scenario, he has Will Anderson going third and Jalen Carter going four, which means that Seattle's on the clock at five and CJ Stroud is still alive. So the Carolina Panthers trade up from number nine in this scenario. They would give up the ninth overall pick, the 93rd overall pick in the third round this year and their 2024 first round pick. And then the Seahawks at nine would take Tyree Wilson edge out of Texas Tech, who is a fucking brute. And then Love at 20 at the Seahawks native pick, you got Jordan Addison, wide receiver out of USC. And since this is a two round mock draft from Dane at 37, the second pick so generously provided by the Broncos, you've got Gervin Dexter, senior defensive tackle out of Florida. I think he is the uh, fourth DT uh, off the board in this mock draft, third or fourth. And then at 52, you have Emmanuel Forbes, a corner out of Mississippi State.
0: Okay. Okay. Davis, what would your immediate reaction be if this is how it went down for Seattle? And if you don't have strong opinions about the specific players, how do you feel about the positional deployment?
2: Well, I would do that. I, I love that. If we if we could get Tyree <laughs> no, Wilson gonna... at nine and we got another first round pick next year and we got uh, a th- another third round pick, um, I would, at this point, I would definitely, I'd be thrilled to have that. I think Tyree Wilson might be our pick at number five
0: in Dane's previous mock draft, he had Seattle staying at five and taking Tyree Wilson. So yeah. you had a first and a third and still get your guy. And and don't get me wrong, if Seattle sticks, if, if Wilson has the combine that I think he's gonna have and Seattle sticks and picks him at five, I'm fine with it. He has moved into my top five.
2: Here's what I, what's really interesting about Tyree Wilson is not every player has the frame to be play multiple positions. And I'm not saying I know which is his ideal position, but I know from what I can tell from his frame, because I think he's 6'5", maybe 6'6". Six 6'6", six. Six, six,
0: 275 is what they've got him most yeah. of
2: that. So you can play him inside or outside. You could bulk him up to 280 and play him inside, or you could, you know, I don't know if you'd slim him down, but if you played him at 270, that wouldn't, you know, because he's such a big frame person, He could still play the edge. So I don't know what would be. Now, he is not a super twitchy guy from what I watch him. But he is really long and really strong. And, and, um, you know, I think he would be a really, really interesting player and not the type of guy you can get. He's You can't find guys. I think his arms are like 35 inches long or something. And they look like.
0: It's crazy. I, I read today and he has an 86-inch wingspan. Yeah. And just yeah. to give context yeah. to that, Giannis Attentan Kupo yeah. has an 87-inch yeah. wingspan. You're yeah. talking about Giannis' reach on yeah. the defensive line with this yeah. guy.
2: Yeah, so again, would he play more like a like a small Calais Campbell or would you play him on the outside? I don't know, but I kind of think you have a couple good options there. So I'd be happy with him at this point at number five. Um but, you know, getting him at nine and getting a couple extra picks. Uh and you know, the wide receiver for me, Jordan Addison at 20, I I am not opposed to that, especially, but you have to really see how free agency goes. I have to see kind of how the roster shapes up, you know, in free agency. The free agent wide receiver. No, no, no. no. Not serious. for not for wide receiver, but okay. I'm talking about the rest of our roster. Got
0: it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. so
2: for me, it's like you know, what did we do at center? What did we do at guard? What did we do, you know, on defense, kind of setting ourselves up for the draft. And if we set ourselves set up, ourselves up well, I have no issue getting a wide receiver at pick 20. Plus I know I have some more picks coming. Um, but uh, so I'm not necessarily pro or against getting a wide receiver at 20. My whole thing would be like, Hey, Let's have free agency. If you guys want to have me back then, I could definitely weigh in and give you a much better opinion on, yeah. at, you know, would I be pissed if they took a receiver at 20? Or, you know, would I be like, yeah, go for it. Take, if he's the best player there, um, you know, because, you know, if he's a good receiver at 20, it's worth every penny.
0: It just is. Oh, yeah, you know? ab- absolutely. And, and Addison could be that guy. What's interesting about this mock draft is last year you had four wide receivers, maybe five wide receivers go in the top 20 picks. This is the first wide receiver off the board in this mock draft. Now, my is, only
2: thing about Addison, he's not, I think he's sub six feet tall. I think he's five. I think He's, he's not, six foot. He's six. Yeah, foot. He's yeah. hes
0: not a big guy. I was actually surprised that uh, they had him over Jackson Smith and Jigba. I thought JSN would be the first and, and look, no one's going to be shocked if the guy who had 300 yards receiving in the Rose bowl ends up going with the top 10 pick. He didn't play much this past year, but, uh, I would be thrilled with a wide receiver at 20 because the only two guys that I would even consider out of the free agent class that I think are like takes wide receiver off the board in the first two rounds is Jacoby Myers and maybe Paris Campbell. Other than that, it's it's a really, really weak class. So, I mean, I I think either JSN or Addison is a better option, especially accounting for rookie contract and age than uh, anybody that's available in free agency.
2: I think for Gino, I think he could work with all different types of receivers. I really believe that. Like mm-hmm. I don't I feel like he could work with a big guy, a little guy, um, guys that get open in different ways. I, I I don't know, you know, if if he needs a certain type of receiver, you know. Sure. Um, Gino's not gonna be, you know, this crazy deep ball thrower, you know, so maybe, you know, maybe he would never get the full maximization of, of like, like a Tyree kill, but on a 40 yard bomb, he's dropping big time post routes on Tyler Lockett. You know, mm-hmm. he threw a mm-hmm. 50 yard go ball to DK Metcalf in that game, you know, kind yep. of thing. So he's not the 60 yard, you know, Mahomes Russ in his prime, you know, type QB, but you know, 45 yard strikes. I mean, that
0: you, you know. want to know what I learned today, Gino Smith, through more deep touchdown passes than any quarterback in the NFL this year. And what is deep 20 yards? I think they had, I think for this, it was 25 yeah. plus yards. He had 13 of them, which is more than everybody, Yeah, which is crazy. And then he added another one in, in the playoffs, you know? And so it's like, yeah, Gino's got that. And, and you're right. He's not Josh Allen no. throwing it 70 yards. Yeah. You know, one of no. my, one of my favorite little draft idioms is throwing a strawberry through a battleship. He's not that guy. But he can lead his receivers really well. Yes. And, you know, that ball can go 30 yards in the air and lead to a 50 or 60 yard touchdown. We saw that this year. I I think you're right. I don't think Geno is the type of quarterback which most quarterbacks in the NFL are where the guy needs to be open. Geno can throw guys open. And and he's got two receivers that you trust in tight coverage too. Uh, DK Metcalf has made massive strides in terms of his ability to make contested catches. Tyler Lockett is an incredible body control guy uh, up there with the best in the NFL at that. So you know, Geno and those guys have been mostly healthy this year. Geno has has had that benefit, but Geno Smith completed seventy percent of his passes, which is something that's been done like three times ever, and when it's been done in the past, even the really high 60% completion marks over the course of the whole season, you're seeing a low average depth of target. Geno Smith's dot was like top half in the NFL. So to get that combination of throwing downfield
2: and have elite, and I'm talking elite accuracy is really, really rare. I guess what I would say for Gino, I feel like he could kind of throw to anybody. Like he... Yep he had games where he was hitting marquise goodwin and they were making amazing plays right and we're not saying marquise goodwin is is this crazy difference maker but i'd be happy to have marquise goodwin back
1: uh mm-hmm.
2: for a million bucks you know especially Certain. before the, how the draft goes i thought he was a contributor he started hitting uh kade johnson in the last two weeks yeah. you yeah. know on some plays he hit derek young you know and then um you know, if, if that, uh, who's our, that receiver, that's never healthy, uh, DS fridge, you know, yeah. I, when he's healthy, I, I, I trust Gino to hit him because he hit all three tight ends, you know, and, um, you know, I don't know if we were amazing throwing to running backs this year. I kind of don't think we were, but like we were, he would spread the ball around. And so it's like, what that tells me is I kind of think Gino can throw to all different types of receivers, different body types, you know, guys that get open, early in the route or guys that go to get open late, you know, big guys, small guys. Well, as someone guys.
0: who writes game recaps every week, I can tell you, Seattle had a ton of different leading receivers yep. this year. You had Colby Parkinson lead the team in yep. yards one week. You had Noah Fant do it twice. I mean, you know, it, it's not just Lockett and Metcalf. Uh I think uh, DJ Dallas led the team in receiving yep. yards one yep. game, you know?
2: Yep. Yeah. So, again i'm not against a wide receiver at 20 i could be if i didn't like how the rest of the puzzle pieces you know it, here's how i would be against a wide receiver if i could tell there is two glaring needs and i knew the draft was not deep in that position mm-hmm. and at that point i would be like no you got to take care of that at 20 so that yeah. would be that would be my caveat I sure my flaw in life is I am always thinking about shoring up my weaknesses versus sometimes building my strengths. And I think sometimes mm -hmm. that's been a flaw at the same times I feel in life. It's kind of served me well. And I always kind of take that approach where it's kind of like, you know, you can build on your strengths, but if you have a glaring weakness, life's always taught me that you just get exposed.
1: Thankfully the Seahawks have zero glaring weakness. Here's, here's how I look at it, right? If you want,
0: if you want your sailboat to go faster, you put wind in your main sail, right? Yes. Like that's, that's what makes yeah. you go faster, but that doesn't work if you got a hole in your hole. So it, it, it is a balance, right? You got to make sure you don't have glaring weaknesses. You got to make sure the boat's not going to sink. But once you have that, I am all for, you know, I love how the Bengals have built their roster. There was so, They took so much heat for putting so much into their skill position players, paying Joe Mixon, drafting Jamar Chase and T Higgins. Joe Burrow. And it's like, you need the line, you need defense. And it's like, yes, yes. The Eagles bills and Niners have complete rosters, but after that, nobody does. And so you pick what is going to make our team the best. And, and I'm, I'm into leaning into that. So Seattle does have a couple of holes in the hole, but if they can get that short up through free agency or early in the draft, I, I, I'm just, at some point, Tyler Lockett's not going to be Tyler Lockett anymore. And there has to be a guy ready to step in. And I, I can't think of a better combination of skills, maybe outside of Cincinnati in terms of DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett for a young receiver to learn under and be ready to step in whenever Tyler Lockett uh, moves on, or if one of those guys goes down uh, with injury. And, and, you know, with Jordan Addison, You know, with with Smith and Jigba, you've got this potentially elite slot receiver. Seattle moves their receivers all over the place. Having someone like to take another Ohio State wide receiver, uh, like a Chris Olave. Chris Olave, one year, was almost exclusively out of the slot, and he killed it. And the next year, they moved him outside, and he killed it, right? And so you saw New Orleans move them all around, and it was amazing for what was a moribund offense outside of outside of him, honestly? So you know, Addison is more of that. I think, I think Jackson Smith and Jigba, and I I do think it's a you got Quentin Johnson in there too, who's a little bit more of like a DK yep. super toolsy yep. freaky guy. Yep. Uh, I don't know that you go with another raw guy like that right now. Maybe you do. Who knows? Uh, because the upside's so big. But if you know, there's two wide receivers. I guess there were three wide receiver. Were there three in this mock draft, Mike, or just the two? Did Quentin Johnson go in the first round in the smock? He did.
1: He's going to go in the he first round. That guy's going to go in the first round. 25th to the Giants. Because he's okay, the, okay. he's
2: a bigger profile guy. That guy's likely a first round pick. Yeah,
0: he's yeah. he's the prototype, right? Yeah. He's he's the six-three-four-four yeah. guy. guy.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, You're always going to have that in demand. That'll always of be style. Of course, know? of yeah.
0: course. So, whereas J- JSN, I think his ceiling, like, the, the 1% outcome for JSN is higher than the 1% outcome for Jordan Addison. But I think that the floor for a guy like Addison, what he can do for your team, you know, there there's a safety with him that I don't think you get with those other two guys. So in, I, I, in that I would sense. say it
2: this way, like, like for Russ, Russell Wilson kind of back, you had one big receiver and two small receivers. That was kind mm-hmm. of the way to do it. I kind of lean that way even now with Gino, now you could go the two big receiver, one small receiver route, right? Which maybe, I don't know if like the chargers do that, or there's other teams that do that, but I kind of may, I am kind of leaning more to what you said, where I almost would go with one big guy. We know who that guy is. Mm. And then the two smaller guys. Um I think I feel good about that.
0: Yeah. Well, we're seeing the NFL trend that way. You know, it, it, it used to be about getting the Des Bryants and having these big contested catch guys and, and the receiving game was more about size and now it's how quickly can you get open and you'll get some bigger receivers who are exceptional route runners like a Stephon Diggs or a Keenan Allen. And those guys will play forever Devonte Adams because they can get open. But typically your big guys, you're, you're counting on the contested catches. They're, they're your George Pickens types. They're your Mike Williams types.
2: Uh, DK Metcalf, although he's evolving, you know, one reason why I don't care about the slot anymore is because there's so much condensed formations. True. So it's like slot, not slot. It, it, it I don't even there's, yeah, I don't even think it matters. Well, you in know?
0: Seattle for the first time ever really moved their receivers around a lot. I mean, DK lined up in the slot a lot. Tyler Lockett, obviously all over the place, but they were even sliding Marquise Goodwin inside they would split their tight ends out like and and I appreciate that you know it it was a much more dynamic just from a pre-snap standpoint I felt like Seattle's plays for years I could just look at personnel and I could look at honestly body language and I bet you I could tell you with 80 90% accuracy whether it was going to be run or pass and if I can do that defensive coordinators are going to be way more on top of it than that this year I couldn't I was I was like 60 40 maybe predicting pass run. And most of that was just situational. So I, I do think Seattle has done themselves a great service with Shane Waldron in that sense.
2: I agree. I got to give Shane Waldron credit. I feel like, um, there were some shaky weeks when we could had no run game. I don't think that was Shane's fault. I just think we were just too banged up. You know, we definitely need some level of run game. I love it when in a game where we, we, we go in those modes where we're like, Hey, we're just going to pass the ball and we just do, and we're, we're more than capable and then I also like it when we switch it, and we do all the bootlegs, you know, we 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 you know we, we do the little slide routes and hitting the guy on the flat. I like how they mix it up. And a lot of times when they do that, they're condensed. Um, and, you know, they have some easy, they, they get some easy plays that way, but they don't have to rely on that is what I like mm-hmm. about the offense. Mm-hmm. So you see them when they line up and they're like, hey, we're just going to throw and throw quick. We can move the ball that way. And I definitely think that just makes me feel good. Uh, because you can't just rely on bootlegs. You cannot build your whole offense on moving the quarterback and bootlegs. I don't believe that we're, we're talking
0: about a very good offense this year. I think they were sixth or seventh in offensive DVOA when it was all said and done and they moved the ball against the 49ers who no one moved the ball against. And like, this is a good offense. So, so much better than I thought they would be. And, you know, I mean, look, lines are drawn on running back and how early you should draft them, how much you should pay them, all of that stuff. And that's, that's fine. I'm, I'm not here to have that argument, but I love Kenneth Walker. I love what he adds to this team. He steals touch. He's a touchdown stealer. He's scoring touchdowns on plays that most running backs are not scoring touchdowns on. And there is so much value in that to having a home run hitter. And, and, you know, you look at guys to get paid in in baseball if you can hit 40 home runs you can hit 230 you can strike out 185 times because you are just going to account for runs that other people can't and i don't think Kenneth Walker is a 240 hitter i think he's a 280 hitter i think he's i think he can get medium amounts of yards uh when it's not always there he finds yards that aren't there
2: I, but I love he can Kenneth, hit the home run i love Kenneth Walker um and he's a home run hitter and he's one of the rare running backs He could literally jump cut two gaps.
0: It's insane.
2: You know, there's not a lot of running backs that could jump cut two gaps Mm -hmm. and he could jump cut two gaps right or left. Pretty, pretty hard to find. There are definitely two or three plays in the game. And I know Pete Carroll has hinted at this where he needs to just take the two yards and call it a day. He, he, I think you, he'll do you that. saw
0: that as the season went yeah, on, too. Yeah, and
2: I still think there's a little more there, too. I don't think yeah. he's I, – I think there's a little bit more improvement there where next year if he could, on those plays, take his two yards. um, And it's a tough thing. It's kind of like having Russell Wilson. It's like, well, if you tell him to not create, you're going to miss out on all these amazing plays, right? Yes. And so there's right. a lot of judgment there. But I would just say this. I'm a huge – kenneth walker fan he can catch the ball but no one thought he could he can totally do that he makes people miss he's tough he gets low he had the second fastest uh on field speed or something ridiculous yeah. like yep. you know and he's not a tall guy so it's amazing that a shorter guy can still it was like 21 or 22 miles per hour um but i do think there are two or three plays in the game that i feel like he could kind of clean up and just you know, take the two yards or not make the two gap cut and make the one gap cut. If that makes sense, yep. you know, where, where, and, and so I think there's a lot more upside and, and, and I'm a huge fan. That being said, if Rashad Penny can come back as a different style runner, as a bigger guy, more of a straight line runner, it might be a really dangerous change of pace. Cause you're dealing with two totally different backs.
0: Rashad, Rashad Penny has been a home run hitter too. I mean, he picked up right where he left off at the end of last season before he got hurt. I mean, if you take that nine game stretch at the end of last year and the beginning of this year, he was the leading rusher in the NFL by like 200 yards.
2: Yeah, he was one of the best players in the NFL. And the reason why I'm hopeful for him is it wasn't a soft tissue injury. It was a bone break. And I don't think it was like a super bad bone break. So no, all,
0: all indications are that he can be 100% yeah. at the beginning of next year. Yeah.
2: So for, so if we can sign him for two or 3 million bucks and I really wouldn't overload the guy, I would try to give him like 10 carries a game. Mm-hmm. And I just think, you know, I think that's a great combination. He's still not that old and he doesn't well, have a, he doesn't have a lot of wear and tear. We we just
0: we just need to pivot as fans from the expectation that you have to have a Bell Cow running back. There just aren't very many anymore. And if you have one, fantastic. But even if you do, you're wary of giving them three hundred and fifty touches. You know, the the days of the Jamal Andersons and the Priest Holmeses and the Ladanian Tomlinsons and these guys who you could give the ball to four hundred times. Now it's like Nick Chubb and Derek Henry and and maybe Saquon, you know?
2: Yeah, you're right. I think it's, it, when you think of Christian McCaffrey, there's only maybe a handful of teams where that trade makes sense. Yeah. That, you know, there's a couple teams and obviously San Francisco is for sure one of them, yeah. but I don't think there's 10 teams that may, that that really have a use, with that would make that trade or could even really utilize.
0: Running back two is now a really valuable position in the NFL. And it was not that way for a very long time. It was this... It was, it was like this oddity if you had that thunder and lightning type of thing. You know, I'm thinking of, uh, was it Tiki Barber and Ron Dane? You know, that was this crazy thing in New York when they had that. Like, oh, my gosh. And now, like, every team kind of has a short yardage back. I look at the way Detroit operates, the way Green Bay operates, the way Dallas operates. I mean, these are really effective run games. And they've got two running backs with very different styles. Uh, the way Tampa Bay, I mean, Tampa Bay's blocking sucked, but I love, I mean, I love Leonard Fournette. I'm, I'm a big Lenny guy and then, but he's, he's not hitting home runs anymore, but Rashad White can. And he tore you know? us up. Rashad yeah, White he tore yeah, us he up. Absolutely yeah. Did. He's still a very, very good running back. And so it's like, you know, having Rashad Penny back on a one-year deal for less than $5 million. I'm, yes. Let's do it. I agree. I agree. Is there anybody else like specific names that we haven't covered that you would be thrilled to see Seattle take at either five or 20 or in, in between if they were to trade back out of that first bit,
2: I wouldn't be super pissed if they took CJ Stroud.
0: I know, I know, I, you I know. know, you kind of have to make that decision before the draft though. Right. Like with Gino or, or, or are you uh, more on board? I think it was uh, Greg Rosenthal when he had him on, he was kind of saying like
2: sign Gino and draft the guy. I wouldn't be super up in arms if they if they did both i like Stroud a lot you know because what i this is kind of the quarterback side I like now is you want a guy that can move like brock purdy can move and, and but yep. like geno can move here's the thing when there's yards to be taken three or four plays a game geno goes and gets the first down those are massive massive plays yes and What I don't want is... He rushed for 300 yards this year. Yeah, what I don't want is I personally don't want a Lamar Jackson or a Justin Fields. I don't want a quarterback where you're building the run in as a big component of the offense. But I definitely want a QB that can move. And that's the the difference. So Josh Allen is kind of like, yeah, his running is a really powerful weapon and they do build in his offense. But if he didn't have that, he would still be really damn good. Yes. You know? Yeah. And so it's it's like I do want a quarterback that can move, but I don't want the offense built. I don't want more than like two or three design runs, I guess I would say, in a game. Yes. If, if I had yes. to throw I'm... a number on it. But I want them to be able to extend plays and I want them to be able to rush for key first downs, you know, three or four times a game. Yeah, you're talking
0: about you don't want Daniel Jones, right? Daniel Jones had a good season in Brian Dabble's offense, they tailored it perfect to him. He still can't throw for shit. And I know they don't have wide receivers and all that stuff. He is not a top NFL thrower. I can't imagine he ever will be. He ran it a lot. That was a huge part of their offense. I'm with you. That's not how I want to build my offense. That is so fragile.
2: And you saw for us when, when Pete dialed into Daniel Jones, he shut him down. Yep. Now a lot of teams don't, I get it, but it's like, you know, you saw that game when he came to Seattle. I don't think Daniel Jones ran for very much in that game. And, and we had just played Kyler Murray. We were like, if we could fucking, you know, deal with Kyler Murray, we could, we're going to deal with you. And it's like, we have to make you throw. And it's like, I want the quarterback that if you're forced to throw, you know, it's just on your shoulders and you're going to win. You well, know? The,
0: the way CJ Stroud played against Georgia, which is the best, defense in college football by a mile. he was dotting those dudes up all game long. I was kind of like yeah Stroud's a nice quarterback some team's going to be happy to have him but it's it's Gino a clear step above him before that game and now especially like look, yes we want to draft the guy and have him be the guy right away but that expectation's been broken by your Joe Burrows and your Justin Herberts. That is not how it's gone for most players. Josh Allen was not that guy right away. Patrick Mahomes was not that guy right away. And I'm honestly with you. If if they took CJ Stroud and, and the comps that you hear a lot of the, the draft honks talk about with him is Jared Goff. And that's easy to scoff at. But you put him in the right offense, like a Rams offense, like Shane Waldron, all of a sudden, I mean, Jared Goff, what he did in Detroit this year was excellent. What he, he led the NFL and passer rating. Two straight years in LA, a quarterback with that skill set, you can tailor an offense to make him really, really good. And Shane Waldron's offense appears to be that.
2: I one one I agree with you. Jared Goff second half of the year is one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. So that's yep. not uh, uh, you know. But I actually think Stroud is a little has a little bit more talent than Jared Goff. I agree. And so, if if you're like a plus Jared Goff, I mean. I'm into oh, well. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and honestly, I feel like Geno Smith played a lot of this year, kind of like a Jared Goff, you know, because mm-hmm. with, I remember they asked, I think I don't, know, it was like Mike Sock, or They asked Pete, he goes, who does Geno remind you of? And he goes, Jared Goff. Like he, he, and, and he's Shane Waldron. Just Jared had him. Goff
0: cooked the Seahawks.
2: Yeah. And so now at that point, when he said that Jared Goff, wasn't doing very well with Detroit, but, or they weren't winning, I should say. But, as you see how the season went on and you look at Jared Goff's numbers and you watch him play, um, you know, it, it, for me, like someone asked me, what is Geno Smith? Like, and I was like, he's kind of in between Joe Burrow, not Joe Burrow, but he's like better than Jared Goff and kind of somewhere in between. And I'm like, that's not no. a bad, no. <laughs> that's not a bad place to be.
0: You're, you're talking <laughs> you know? about slotting someone in between like the third or fourth best quarterback and the 15th best quarterback. You got a top 15 quarterback. Like we think of that and we're like, oh, it's kind of middle of the path. We're talking about 15 dudes on the planet that are top 15 quarterbacks. You get one of those, you build a team around that. And I think Gino's there.
2: Yep. No, I'm with you. I, I, uh, but as much as I'm a supporter of Gino, um, if we took Stroud at five and didn't plan this year or didn't plan for two years, I don't even know if I'm super upset.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because It doesn't look like Seattle's going to draft this high again, unless of course they get Carolina's first round pick in in a trade back. You know, maybe they're picking high again next year. But
2: yeah, I think Pete Carroll can't draft in the teams. I mean, he's still drafted in twenty because Tampa Bay loses, and I'm like, fuck. Now we're at (laughs) twenty. You know, we're always in the twenties, right? Yeah. And it's like Pete Carroll, motherfucker. Ten out of thirteen years go to the playoffs. You know, you never, you never draft high. You know, it's just kind of like.
0: And when, and when they have, they've nailed those picks. Okung, Earl Thomas, Charles Cross. They've all been hits when they've picked high, you know, and so it'll be fun to see how they approach that this year. Listen, man, we could do this the rest of the night, but I know it's getting late. I really appreciate all the time you've given us. You are a terrific person to help turn our sights towards a huge off-season. I know you mentioned that you haven't been on Twitter recently, but before we get out of here, is there a spot where people can find more of you
2: right now? Well, I still have my Twitter account and maybe I'll get on the real Twitter and deal with their algorithm. And, but Davis Sue Seattle is my only social media. I don't have any, I don't have a website. I don't have Instagram or I don't Facebook. So, um, Davis Sue Seattle on Twitter is still my only, uh, I just have to have Elon turn that third party, uh, third party API, you know, we'll
1: write him a strongly worded letter. I, he's
2: not making enough money off those third party apps. I think these days, you know, yeah. He has an interest payment coming up 300 million (laughs) bucks.
0: Yeah, he does. He does. I mean, when I joined Twitter shit decade ago, you were one of the very first people that I followed and I am a much smarter fan as a result. So those of you listening, make sure you're giving him a follow as well. As for us, you can find Mike and I on social media. I am on Twitter at at Jackson Bevins. That's J A C S O N. Remember that no K is okay when spelling my name mike is actually taking a break from twitter but is normally found at mike barwin the show itself is at cigar thoughts you can also find us on instagram at cigar thoughts nfl and on facebook at seahawk cigar thoughts of course you can listen to this show and read every article at fieldgoals.com cigar thoughts and if you're listening on spotify or apple Podcasts and you like the show drop us a five-star rating and leave a quick review despite being on the air for just over a year we've already got nearly 200 five-star ratings between the two platforms That is not something that Mike and I take for granted. So thank you to all of y'all for your continued support of the show. We know you've only got so much time for audiobooks, music, and podcasts. It is an honor to be a part of that for y'all. Please know that by sharing the show on social media and with your friends, you give us the juice to keep making this happen. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, onwards and upwards, my friends.